Last time we were together here on Graceful Truth, Pastor Steve Converse showed us that godly fathers are men of conviction. Today, as we continue our series on godly fathers, we also see that they are men of compassion. Join us. Everyone has their idea of what a manly man looks like. We all have the stereotypes firmly ensconced in our mind, right? But when you throw in the word compassion to that manly man, suddenly we revert to those situational comedies where they berate men for being men. And compassion is something that is to be avoided at all costs or your milk toast at best. Yet here in God's Word, we have a different view altogether. Welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. One more look at our series on Godly Fathers is with today's broadcast and focusing specifically on compassion. Here now is Pastor Steve with today's program. Remember in college when I was in Southern California, I had a a small little job painting um, rooms at at the college. And I remember... I was in there for weeks painting these rooms and before the school started and the school semester started and, and I was sitting in the classroom and the teacher who was teaching the class said, wow, does everybody smell that? I didn't smell a thing. I was sitting there like, what's he talking about? Because I'd been smelling it for weeks, the fresh paint. I mean, everybody else is like, oh, we got a headache. Oh, we can't meet in here. And I'm like, what are you talking about? See, what happened? I I got conditioned to it. See, and that's what happens sometimes when we begin to bend, when we begin to yield, when we begin begin to kind of bend our convictions in certain areas and compromise. It, It becomes easier the next time, and it becomes easier the next time. And pretty soon, before we know it, it's affecting us morally. But to be godly fathers, righteous men like Joseph, we need to hold strongly to the moral standards that God gives us in his word. Secondly, men of conviction fear God more than public opinion. They fear God more than public opinion. Think about it. The angel explained to Joseph the unique circumstances of Mary's conception. He didn't explain to everybody. He just explained to Joseph. Joseph's the only one who knew at this point. And Joseph went ahead and he actually took Mary as his wife, it says. Nobody else knew what was going on. It took a lot of courage. That's why the angel said, do not be afraid. (laughs) I'm going to tell you to do something, but don't be afraid about it. I want you to do it. I mean, back then, especially, their culture was not tolerant of anyone having a baby out of wedlock. It was just, man, if you did that, it was big trouble. And here, Mary's pregnancy before marriage would have been really a trigger for a lot of people to condemn her and Joseph. I mean, I'm sure the gossip started. Did you hear she got pregnant before they even got married? And some say he's not even the father. I mean, all these people were whispering and saying these things. And for Joseph to stand with Mary, he had to fear God more than he feared the opinions of others. To raise his son, God picked a dad who feared God enough to stand with God against public opinion. And your kids need that in a father. They really do. Even if they complain, Dad, everybody else is doing it. Why can't we do it? Well, son, we can't do it because here's what God's word says. And we're not going to violate God's word. Thirdly, men of conviction develop a habit of obedience. 
We see this in Joseph's life. If you look at verse 24... It says, when, the, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And then you look down at chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. It says, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take your child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose, Joseph rose, and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Over and over again... You see here Joseph's immediate obedience. He was in the habit of obedient, obeying God. Every time God commanded him to do something, Joseph responded almost with an instant, unquestioning obedience. And that was a pattern of his life to obey God, even when it wasn't convenient. I mean, think about it. Wakes up and the angel says, flee to Egypt. And you'll stay there till I tell you. What? (laughs) You want me to move to Egypt? I mean, are you sure this is a foreign country, Lord? Um, They speak another language. And you want me to go right now in the middle of the night, move the family, all that stuff? It may have been a hassle, but none of these commands were all that big of a deal, you may be thinking. Well, take Mary as your wife, move to Egypt, move back to Palestine, move to Galilee. Those are big decisions. You don't just make those on a spur of a moment. But Joseph was being obedient because he had a habit of obeying God in his life. Even the mundane matters of life, he was willing to do. So dad, what happens when you're checking out at Walmart and the lady overlooks the soap detergent at the bottom of the, (laughs) the cart? And you get out to the car and you realize, wow, she didn't ring me up for that. Do you do a high five with your family? Ah, free soap today. Saved us 20 bucks. What's that telling your kids? Well, because you're a man of conviction, do you head back in, even though it's not convenient, takes a little more time, it costs you more money, and go to the checkout clerk and say, hey, you know what? You made a mistake here, and I owe you some money. What's that showing your, your children? What's, showing, what's that showing your kids? Well, men of conviction also develop godly habits of Worship. In Luke chapter 2, verse 22, look at what it says. Luke 2, 22. And when it was time for them, the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So here we see that they're, they're willing to go to this temple to dedicate their son at the temple. And all the way down in verse 41, we learn that they had this custom of going to Jerusalem every year for the Feast of the Passover. Over in Luke chapter uh, 4, verse 16, we discover that Jesus had the same custom of weekly uh, synagogue worship. I mean, where do you think Jesus learned these from? He learned it from his dad. He learned it from his family. And every family has certain habits. We have certain customs. Some develop almost unaware. We don't even realize it. And some are by repetition. They're, they're, they're meant to be uh, customs. Deliberately, you set them out to be part of your regular family life. Hey, we're going to eat together as a family. We're going to do this. We're going to have family devotions, whatever it is. But once in place, you don't have to debate whether or not every time you're going to do this that you have to do it. 
Because in your family, it's just something that you do. It becomes a habit. It becomes something that's regular. And see, Joseph and Mary had the custom of worshiping God as a regular part of their life, just as God commands them. They had a habit of regular church attendance. It wasn't up for grabs. It didn't matter whether Johnny had a Little League game Sunday morning. It doesn't matter. Johnny wouldn't be playing Little League if it was on Sunday morning. See? Uh, see, it's when we, we begin to kind of bend and we begin to yield to the pressure of the world, then all of a sudden we find ourselves competing for times with when we should be worshiping with God's people on the Lord's Day. And it doesn't happen like that. It happens over a period of time. And, and see, a lot of times in our own lives, you know, when we make church attendance an option, maybe you're, you're away, maybe you're on vacation as a family. Do you go to church? That's a good question. I mean, I, I know a lot of family, we're on vacation. You wouldn't expect us to go to church on vacation. Why not? I mean, whenever I go on vacation, I try to look for a place to go to church because I don't get to go to a lot of churches other times. But it's kind of an adventure. It's like, what am I going to see? What am I going to hear? What am I going to, you know, how do they do things? Um, you know, and I appreciate so much when some of you go away on vacation, you bring back and you bring back the, the folder, the, the bulletin. They'll say, hey, here's the church. We visit this church. You might want to check it out. It's kind of cool. That's great. That, that tells me that, man, you, this isn't just a, a Sunday while you're here thing. It's, it's no matter where you're at in the world, you can find a church and you can worship together. And if you can't, by some means, at least get your family together and spend some time in the scriptures and pray and, and, and maybe sing a chorus or two or a hymn. And have that time of family worship. It's so, so important. And so the, the same goes true for family Bible reading or prayer, whatever, not just church attendance. But is it something that you're, you're, you're willing to commit to? Is it something that's a, it's a habit in your family's uh, everyday lifestyle? Sometimes, you know, I hear people, you know, that maybe they haven't been in church for a couple, well, I just need a couple weeks off. And I'm thinking, what example are you giving your children or whoever else is in your family? That's that's so sad. Um, They figure out your weekly priorities very quickly. Kids aren't dumb. They can can read right through all the the Christian speak and see right to your heart almost to see, well, what's, what's dad really like or what's mom really like? And so when God chose a man to raise his son, he picked a man of conviction, through his moral integrity. He picked a man who feared God. He picked a man who had a habit of obedience, had a habit of uh, worship in his life. But when you think of those things, you might conjure up in your mind a man who is only marked by conviction. Maybe some of you have had dads that, you know, when I mentioned a man of conviction, you kind of bristled, thinking, you know, oh, bristled kind of thing. Wow, yeah, I don't want a man of conviction in my life. Because they were stern, they were just matter-of-fact, they were cold, they didn't treat me correctly. See, a person like that might make a great military officer, but they miss the mark when it comes to being a godly father. Because you not only need conviction as a father, but you also need, and it brings us to the second point here, godly fathers are men of what? Compassion. Compassion. I mean, where do you think Jesus developed his tender love for children? Why do you think on that day when the, the children were just running toward him and the disciples were trying to figure out how to get rid of these kids, Jesus said, oh, no, no, let them come on to me. What are you talking about? 
Why do you think he had that compassion? Why do you think he had time for people who were trying to track him down in the streets when he was going around with his disciples and they were grabbing at him, asking him to heal him, and the disciples were kind of saying, we don't have time for these people. Jesus was like, no, these are the people I came for. I came for the downtrodden. Why do you think he had compassion for those who were like sheep without a shepherd? Where did that come from? I think he saw it in the life of his father. And his father probably wasn't around that that long. We don't know much about Joseph, but the time he must have spent with Jesus must have had a pretty good impact on his human development because we know that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. And Joseph helped with that. And so he, he understood what it meant to be a man of compassion. And there's two clues here in Matthew's gospel, back to Matthew, that show us about the compassion of Joseph. And like I said, this applies to all of this. I mean, I know a lot of Christians who are just very um, people of conviction. And so they become very legalistic. They become very cold-hearted toward those who are not Christians. They become very just, you know, almost self-righteous people. And they look down on everybody who's not part of their church or part of their little club or whatever. That doesn't please God. I mean, you can have conviction. That's fine. But we don't put our Christian conviction on everybody else because they may not be Christians. How can you hold them to the same standard? You can't. Godly fathers are men of compassion. A compassionate man are considerate of others. That's the first thing. Notice when Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant, he had basically two options according to the customs of the day. He could institute a lawsuit against Mary for her unfaithfulness and that would have been the right thing to do. Nobody would have looked down on Joseph for doing that. Although the letter of the law prescribed stoning, in other words, it said she should be stoned, Joseph probably figured out, yeah, that penalty probably is not going to be enforced because it generally wasn't only in, in certain cases. But a lawsuit could have exposed Mary to what? Public disgrace. Think about it. To ridicule. He could have done that or he could have just handed her a bill of divorce and said, you know what, I can't go along with this marriage, I can't go along with this engagement, Uh, I think that you were unfaithful to me, and I'm going to dismiss you privately without public fanfare. And what did he do? He chose the latter. He didn't make a big deal out of it. He chose the latter because he didn't want to disgrace Mary, because he loved Mary. Even though he was in pain, and even though he thought at this point that Mary was responsible for his pain, because she's been unfaithful in his mind, See, he didn't want to get even with her. He didn't want to make her pay. As a godly dad, you need to think about how your own actions make your children feel. You may be right in thinking that your child needs discipline. But maybe it's not always the right thing to correct them publicly in front of everybody else and disgrace them and shame them. Maybe he's done something that embarrasses you. Maybe your child's done something that makes you look bad. How does a godly dad deal with that and judge your own pride, you absorb the embarrassment. You deal with the matter privately because he's considerate of that child. Even though the child's done something wrong, you're considerate of that individual. Secondly, compassionate men have tender feelings for others. <laughs> this sounds like an oxymoron, tender feelings in men. I mean, it just, just does. Um, it's interesting in verse 20 of chapter 1 in Matthew there's a lot of different translations here, but they really tone down the original intent of Matthew one twenty, where it says, Joseph considered or thought about these things. 
Because the Greek word there has a nuance of emotional reasoning. Um, in some places, it's used to describe angry or, or passionate reasoning. Uh, you see, Joseph wasn't just sitting down and, and, and calmly weighing his options. Well, I can give her a bill of divorce. I can do this. No. It, it hit him to the utter core of his heart. I mean, he was distraught. He was in turmoil as he tried to figure out what to do. And he loved Mary so deeply. He wanted to follow God so fully. He had to consider all these things. Leonard Griffith says this. He imagines Joseph is saying, oh, the agony, the tortured days and sleepless nights. I mean, think about it. You're engaged to be married to this woman. She, she turns up pregnant and you're not the father. And you've got to sort all this stuff out. He goes on, my life was finished. I could never love anyone else but Mary. Nazareth was empty and my heart was empty without her. Why, oh God, did you let this happen? I prayed over and over again. I'm sure that's what went through Joseph's heart. But he wasn't just a stern moralist. He was a considerate man with deep feelings about the one he loved deeply. Biblical love is primarily a commitment. It's not feelings. Do we understand that? It's not devoid of feelings, but it's not just about feelings. I can't count the number of people I've talked to over the years when they're struggling and they say, well, why, why do you want to separate? Why do you want to divorce? Well, we just don't love each other anymore. We don't feel we love each other. What? Usually I say, I don't care how you feel. What's that have to do with it? Did you not stand before God and someone and, and a pastor or a priest or somebody and say, I commit to this other person to death do his part? Yeah, but we just don't feel that. <laughs> Wait, you got to separate things here. Biblical love is primarily a commitment. First Corinthians 13, 4 says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. Paul even compares his own love for his converts as being a tender love of a nursing mother. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, he says, But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Have you ever seen a nursing mother? Of course you have, because we have a lot here. But we've had a lot over the years. So, I mean, you know, but what do they do? You know, they, they're, they're, they're holding that baby. They're cradling that baby. They're not just, here, you know, hurry up, you know. No, you don't do that. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be right. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, he says, so, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Paul was willing to sacrifice himself so that they could hear the gospel because you had become very dear to, to us. Dads, let me, let me hear this carefully. Listen to what I'm about to say because it's very important. Almost as important as what you teach your children is how you communicate it. Almost as important as what you teach your children is how it's communicated to them. God not only gave us heads to understand, but he also gave us hearts to feel. And sometimes we need to be considerate of that other person, whatever it might be. Your kids probably won't grow up and remember all the, the doctrine you're teaching them, or at least not as their own, maybe convictions, maybe they'll grow up and, and have their own whatever, study the Bible on their own, hopefully. But hopefully they'll, they'll remember the compassion, the care that you had for them. Well, how do you communicate your convictions? How do you communicate your compassion to your kids? Well, first of all, you have to model it. You have to model it. You can't tell them one thing and do another. That, that, that's just not going to work. You have to model it for them. You have to be who you are in Christ. 
And let them know when you fail and be honest and open. Be transparent. You also have to teach them. You have to teach them verbally by reading them the Bible, by talking about God's ways, talking about Scripture, talking about the law of God. Take times to do that. Don't just leave that up to mom all the time. As a father, that's your role. That's your responsibility. But I think the last thing is important. You have to spend time together. You have to spend time together. I mean, how do we know that Joseph spent time with Jesus as he was growing up? I think you can put two verses together in Matthew and figure this out. Matthew thirteen fifty five, and there it describes Jesus as the carpenter's son. So what does that tell you? When they saw the carpenter, they saw his son. <laughs> and also Mark chapter 6, verse 3, which describes Jesus as the carpenter. He followed in his father's footsteps. How did Jesus learn the trade of carpentry? By spending time with his dad, by spending time with Joseph. As they worked together, as they ate together, Joseph probably modeled, he talked with Jesus about the things of God. Even though Jesus was God, he was still human. Remember that. He needed to grow in wisdom and stature. And godly values are communicated to your kids by modeling, by talking in the context of uh, spending time together with them. And that's so important that we do that. Because if you don't, it's very... It's very hard to get any relationship, any communication going with your kids. There was a little write-up about grandmothers, and you can relate it to grandfathers if you want, but it, it kind of speaks to what I just said. A grandmother is a lady who has no children of her own. <laughs> she likes other people's little girls and boys. A grandfather is a man-grandmother. These are kids saying this. He goes for walks with the boys, and they talk about fishing and stuff like that. Grandmothers don't have anything to do except be there. They're so old, they shouldn't play hard or run. It's enough if they drive us to the market where the pretend horse is and have a lot of dimes ready. Or if they take us for walks. They should slow down past things like pretty leaves and caterpillars. They should never say hurry up. Usually, grandmothers are fat. But not too fat to tie your shoes. <laughs> they wear glasses and funny underwear. They can te- take their teeth and their gums off. Grandmothers don't have to be smart. Only answer questions like, Why isn't God married? <laughs> or, How come the dogs chase the cats? Grandmothers don't talk baby talk like visitors do because it's hard to understand. When they read to us, they don't skip or minded if it's the same story over and over again. Everybody should try to have a grandmother, especially if you don't have television. <laughs> because they're the only grown-ups who have time. And you can relate that to grandfathers as well. See, Joseph was not rich. He wasn't successful in business. He wasn't well-known. He wasn't well-educated. You know what? If he never would have become the father of Jesus, we never would have heard of this guy. Ever. He was the carpenter who walked with God, who developed godly conviction, who com- communicated them with tender compassion in the context of time spent together with this unique son that he had, the son of God, that was given to him for his care. Convictions without compassion creates distance in relationships. Compassion without convictions means weakness with regard to the truth and will cause your kids to lose respect for you and for God. 
But when you put those two together, convictions and compassion, when you put them together, guys, you combine them together over the years, you have a description of a man of God who chose, that God chose to raise his own son. And I think you're in pretty good company. He was a dad that we can learn from. Not just, I think, at Christmas time when we hear about the Christmas story, but he was truly a dad for all seasons. I pray that you'll spend time with your kids, that you'll be men of conviction and compassion. Ask God to help you with that. None of us are perfect. Just ask our wives. They know that clearly. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.